This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. You know, I've accomplished a lot. And he's like, you could do so much more. And you're so much more competent. And you're limiting yourself by the vision that you have for yourself. Think about yourself as somebody that's running a $25 million company. And that was only like three years ago. He's and that helped did, that me. did shift something for you. He like. really, really shifted something for me in my brain. I was like, yeah, why am I only thinking $3 million, $5 million? Why aren't I thinking $30 million, $100 million? And at every level, he's been like, okay, now think $300 million. Why aren't you thinking... You know, and the minute I could get my head around like a half a billion, he was like, okay, why aren't you thinking we're a, going billion? For a billion? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, here I go. It's not going to work. You'll fail. I don't get it. These are words that entrepreneurs seeking investment or strategic partnerships hear over and over again. And so did Sarah Kugelman. But that didn't stop her. She is the founder and CEO of Skin Iceland a rapidly growing lifestyle brand in skincare that is already at 20 million in revenues and is capturing the attention of A-list celebrities. After raising $25 million to build an online beauty retail company and selling it to one of the biggest industry players, Sarah's powerful mindset carried her right past all the naysayers as she built Skin Iceland into the success that it is today. Coming up, Sarah shares what stress does to your skin, and what she did when 80% of her business disappeared literally overnight. You'll learn what her coach has inspired her to do to set her on the path to running a billion-dollar company. This is Million Dollar Mind, remarkable stories of transformation and how to shift your mindset to accelerate success with entrepreneur, author, and mindset expert Julia Pimsler. Sarah, great to see you again. Great to see you too. So glad you could come in. We loved having you at the Million Dollar Women Summit. You were one of the faves, and I was so excited to have our conversation today. I so enjoyed it. It was a great summit. Thank you. Well, listen, we are going to talk today about mindset, shifting gears, and I'm so interested in your perspective as someone who's given a lot of thought to the stress aspect of mindset and specifically what that can do to the skin. So that's a good way of teeing up how you created Skin Iceland. Can we hear that story and what the stress component is in there? Sure. You know, I mean, I for me, the, this business was all about a personal passion of mine. And that passion was really um, about what health and wellness and sort of living your optimal life. I had had a lot of stress in my corporate jobs from traveling all the time and eating all the wrong foods and not getting enough sleep. And ultimately, my body sort of broke down and I ended up having to take a three-month leave of absence from my job. Wow. My doctor at the time said, if you don't learn to manage your stress, you're not going to live to see 40. And that was a huge wake-up call for me. And obviously, because I was working in the beauty industry, I noticed during that time that everything that was going on on the inside with my health was reflected on the outside with my skin. What and kind of things would happen if I may ask? So I had like cystic acne. I had, you know, all kinds of dullness and dryness with the tone and texture. Um, it, it, you know, when you're healthy, you have like this rosy glow and your skin looks really translucent. And I sort of had the opposite, like that dull, dreary. Yes. Um, 
acne-prone skin. And um, I became very interested with that whole connection between stress and skin. So when I got better, um, I thought, you know, let me study what that connection is and how amazing would it be to start a business where I could spend all of my time really not only learning about wellness and health, and um, but also having that dialogue with women about their skin and looking good as well as feeling good. So I spent a year and a half studying the whole connection between stress and skin with a team of doctors and experts. What was what were some of the surprising things that you found? Um, there were so many surprising things, but that you know, really, what's going on mentally? We think, oh, it's just in our mind, like it doesn't affect our body. But you know, the, the physiological response is real, and what's going on in our brain sets off all kinds of hormonal reactions in the body and affects the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And so it really controls all of the reactions and systems going on in the body. Well, and we certainly all remember from being teenagers and some of us even as adults that, you know, if you don't sleep well and you're drinking too much coffee and you're anxious, yes. like suddenly, right, you can break out even at our age. Right, exactly. Yes, so that doesn't seem too surprising, but I don't know like the science of it. So that's pretty interesting to yes. learn from you. Right. So there's all kinds of things like, you know, the body produces more cortisol, which then can lead to acne. Um, the body releases histamine, which can irritate the skin or cause hives. Um, it was actually proven in a study at the University of San Francisco that women who were under a tremendous amount of negative stress, it actually affected the DNA and the specific part of the DNA that's associated with aging. So it affects, you know, it accelerates the aging process in the skin. Oh, and the body. Being under stress repeatedly can actually accelerate yes. aging and certainly can accelerate the aging of your skin. Exactly. Um, the good news is Bad that you news can, for all New Yorkers, right? right? <laughs> Bad news for New Yorkers, but the good news is that you can stop it and, and uh, reverse it. Um, so, you know, when I started learning about the fact that there's like actually a really positive side to the story, um, that if we can recognize the fact that we're stressed and we can address it and we can come up with solutions to our stress, we actually can reverse the signs of stress in all of these ways in our skin. Very cool. So how did that get you on a flight to Iceland? <laughs> well, there? it was sort of an accidental connection because um, I ended up going to Iceland with my sister um, just as a part of my continuing wellness journey and interest in going to pl places that, that are healthy and clean. And so we went to Iceland. And when I got there, it sort of was like this magical place that was clean and beautiful and um, inspiring. And everybody had beautiful skin. And I felt like it really sort of epitomized everything I was trying to do with Skin Iceland, which was like a weird coincidence. And so I started doing a lot of research about Iceland and the climate and the nature. Did people's skin look amazing there? People's skin was That's amazing. That's what I would picture. And, you know, I found that because people sit in the thermal waters there and the thermal waters have these incredible properties, um, they're really, really special. So I ended up creating a complex for all of the products with the thermal waters being the base of the complex. And then I ended up sourcing botanicals and medicinal herbs and all kinds of ingredients from Iceland that make up um, this proprietary complex that we have in the products. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And I read on your website some of those ingredients. It was like kelp and exactly. anti-inflammatory stuff. And yes. And angelica archangelica, which grows wild in Iceland. And, you know, people can eat and drink. And um, there's like this tremendous history of naturals and living off the earth in Iceland, you know, for 12 centuries that people have been there. And so it's really part of the culture to, you know, eat natural and put natural products on your skin. And so I felt like that was really part of our whole story. 
And that was a great way to springboard and launch this brand, which I really feel like you were one of the pioneers in this space in launching a lifestyle brand around skincare. Can you talk about how you came to that? We definitely were. I mean, I was sitting in my you know, at my desk at Estee Lauder, and I was very involved in trends going on in the category and working with some of the most important um, arbiters in that sector. And what I kept hearing was that lifestyle was becoming really important and natural was important. And I looked around and, you know, there were some great brands like Origins and Aveda that spoke to natural and I think were at the forefront of this trend, but were really based on ingredients and not lifestyle. And so I thought there was a huge opportunity for a brand that was much more encompassing or, you know, 360 in its approach to wellness um, in terms of a lifestyle. And I thought there was a conversation that really needed to be had around this that wasn't just about reducing wrinkles, you know, around your eyes or in your face, but it was really about like, you know, how do you feel on the inside and how does that translate to the way you look on the outside? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? Yeah, that whole mind-body connection that we now take for granted. Everyone talks about that, but you were one of the first people. Was was everybody on board right away? Or... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. How did that go? Um, which I think is, you know, one of the things about being an entrepreneur, you know, you're usually onto something when people think you have three heads and don't understand a, a word that you're talking about. So I, I remember talking about this and people knew that they were stressed and they knew that it probably affected their skin, but they really didn't understand what the connection was. And so at the beginning, there was a huge component of education and, you know, really trying to teach people, you know, how what we were talking about, what our philosophy was, how the line worked. And there was a huge learning curve. Um, Do you remember like one meeting where you were explaining it and people were just not getting it or saying, well, that sounds like a bunch of hooey or... Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember being in a meeting at Sephora pretty early on and the VP there saying to me, I I, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. And I don't think our customers are going to get it either. You know, and that was pretty hard to hear. Um, What do you do in those moments? Like, what's your mindset trick for not, you know, having that kind of thing bring you down? Well, aside from wanting to cry, um, (laughs) you know, I think there's like this little voice inside of you that, you know, or like an instinct where you know that you're right. And you have to just not listen to people that are naysayers or that don't haven't really absorbed what it is that you're trying to say. And you have to believe so much in yourself that you can basically thwart so many people that are either saying it's not going to work, you're going to fail, or I don't get it. Where does that come from in you? That's a good question. I don't know whether I was born with that. Um, You know, I mean, I do remember my mother saying things that like even when I was a baby or toddler that I had like a very low um, threshold for for patience. You know, I would get very impatient with things, but I would not give up until I figured it out, like with a puzzle. Like even if I couldn't get the piece in the shape, I would try to force it in there. (laughs) Future entrepreneur in the making. (laughs) And I just, you know, I, and then early on, like even in high school, I had a lot of businesses. So I was always, Oh, you you started businesses in high school. Yeah. What was one? I had a a jewelry business in high school. I used to go to the design district and buy beads and make jewelry and a t-shirt decorating business. And I had a dessert business. I had all kinds of businesses like all along the way. Um, So I don't know. I feel like it was maybe just kind of always in me. And, you know, maybe also the fact that I had parents that were 
both working, never home, um, led me to be really resourceful. I had to depend on myself and figure things out for myself. And I think that's such a key part of being an entrepreneur. You, you just, there's a lot of things you don't know or you come across, but you say like, I'm just going to figure it out. And that's something that was comfortable and familiar to me. I love that. And and I know your first business had success, right? Gloss, you sold. Can you yes. tell, tell us a bit about that? Um, so that was a business that I ideated in 1994. 1995 and it was a beauty website it was before there was even an internet or you know a way to navigate the internet and I you know I've heard people talking about oh one day we'll be doing our banking on the internet and I thought everybody thought that was so crazy and I thought well you know people will also probably be buying beauty on the internet and how crazy would it be if you could live in Columbus Ohio which is where I was living at the time and buy you know, that Lancome mascara that you can get in New York or LA or that MAC lipstick. And that was sort of the impetus for me writing a business plan. Um, And I tried to get the business off the ground, but it was too early. People didn't really get it. And so it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco and I was talking to somebody who was um, a banker in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, have you talked to anybody about this idea? And I (laughs) said, no. And he said, I think I'm going to introduce you to investors. And I literally met with five investors and three of them gave me or two of them gave me $5 million to start my first business. Amazing. So you raised an aggregate of $5 million. I actually raised an aggregate of $25 million, but $5 million was my first first round and I quit my job and I started my first company and within a year I sold it to Estee Lauder. That's an incredible trajectory. So someone could listen to that and think like anything you touch just turns to gold and it's all been super easy. Is that true? Um, You know, I think it is interesting that it always looks easy from the outside and it has been so hard. Um, I can't even express how hard it's been. If If I knew then what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have done either business. So it's a good thing that wow. I always I think that like entrepreneurship and having children are similar in that way. Like totally, you knew how hard <laughs> it was going to be. You'd still do it, but right. you never had any idea, right? You were oh my up gosh, I really had no idea what I was. But I mean, Skin Iceland is now a twenty million dollar company. You have some really big celebrities who've used your products. I know Lady Gaga, right, was in a recent yes. photo shoot. I love that with the eye gels. So tell us about a moment when it wasn't so easy. Uh, well, let's see. I mean, there were many years at the beginning that were very, very hard. Um, you know, I think at the beginning we had a lot of um, success because the first three years, you know, we were new brands and it was very exciting. Um, but indie brands were not a big thing at that time. So it was very hard for us to compete in a market with all the heritage brands that were big and had lots of money to spend. And then three years into our launch, the market crashed and there was a huge recession and all the retailers we were working with um, either closed stores, stopped ordering inventory, exited brands. And so at the time we were um, in all stores at Sephora and they decided to exit my brand and they were 80% of my business. Wow. So I So really, what did that represent? Like millions of dollars that were suddenly yeah, just like poof, gone. Yeah, just gone overnight. And um, I really didn't know whether we would survive. And that was just a really, really tough time. I mean, I really, it was really dark. And about a week or two later, I also found out my, um, my 
biggest man or my only manufacturer for my products declared chapter 11. And so there was nobody to make my products. I had no place to sell them. And all my packaging was locked in the facility where <laughs> the manufacturer, like the oh sheriff had put a where, lock give on us the door. a location. Like where was the, um, the manufacturer was in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and the sheriff put a lock on the door. Basically all of our stuff was locked inside. And so I, I sort of like made a joke at the time, like every Friday, something disastrous happened. So I like got scared of going to the office on Friday because I felt like there was going to be a disaster every Friday when I got to the office. So we would say like, oh, no, what's going to happen this Friday? And <laughs> right. like for like, Every Friday was Friday uh, the 13th. And yes. Ex- ex- for a little ex- while. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so this was a Friday when they were like, yes. your stuff is locked in this yeah, warehouse. My lo- yeah. My lawyer called me and said, uh, or actually my operations ca- person called me and said, are you sitting down? And I said, what? And he said, so FYI, manufacturer just declared chapter 11, sheriff put a lock on the door. And uh, I don't know what you want to do about that. So how much inventory was in there? Oh, like everything we had, almost everything we had. I mean, all of our like work in progress was there. We had a lot of um, just unfinished packaging and things that we stored there. But I was getting ready to um, launch a product at Sephora. So the whole launch was in the facility. Behind that lock. And, you know, without the product, I cannot make money. I can't, there's no cash flow. So I sat there. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was very lucky in that another manufacturer had made my initial seven products and I called them up. They had been purchased by a larger company and come to me like two years before that and said, you know, we're not going to work with small companies anymore. So we'll help you transition to a smaller manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So we transitioned to the smaller manufacturer, but I called them back up and I said, I know you guys don't work with big, with small brands anymore, but look, I'm in a fix and I really need you guys to help me. You know how to make my products. You know what the formulas are. Can you just help me through this transition? And then we'll find somebody else. And they said, yes. And so, um, I was really, really lucky. And then I called my lawyer and I was like, how do I get my stuff out of the facility? And we found out who the landlord was for the facility. And it turned out just completely by accident that my ex-husband used to babysit for the son of the landlord. (laughs) How's that for a random connection? That's lucky. I was, I had like a lucky star over me that day. My lawyer called the landlord and said, your tenant um, or, you know, one of the clients of your tenant is so-and-so. And and he said, all right, you have like 24 hours to get your shit out of there. Literally. Oh my God. And so we had 24 hours to basically load up the truck, get everything on there and hightail it out of there. So that's what we did. And we drove the truck. um, My operations guy, who's like an ex-military guy. (laughs) Like literally, commando single, going right. in to get the product. Exactly, commando took it. Did you go with him? Um, I did not. Um, he was like, "I've got this I've under got control." This. I was a nervous wreck, so he said, "I've got this," and um, he drove it over to um, our manufacturer, our original manufacturer, and we are still there today. And they have been an amazing, amazing wow, partner. They really came through for you. They but really that is came through. Really us. dramatic, and you know, I know that anybody who has a business has their version of that story, right? Because none of us escape without there being that day that everything goes wrong. So I'm curious, like, if we can just rewind to the moment you found out, right, that you weren't going to be in Sephora anymore. And then add on top of that, all of your product is locked in this warehouse. Like, what mindset resources do you draw on in those Mm -hmm. moments? I mean, I think part of it is, you know, yourself, like you say to yourself, there's a way out of this, like, I'm gonna find a way out of this, like, failure is not an option, even when things look like, a dead end and like there's no way out like there's always a way out and you learn as an entrepreneur like once you've figured a way out of so many holes like okay I've got this like I've done this before 
I do you think, literally remind yourself like, oh, there was that other time. Yes. I thought it was the end and it wasn't the end. You do. You literally remind yourself. And I think in that particular situation, that was such a double whammy that I felt a little bit um, like, I don't know if I can figure my way out of it this time. And it was my number two person at my company who a million times I had said to her, we'll figure it out. There's a way out. Don't lose hope. And that one time she said to me, don't worry, we're going to figure it out. There's a way. And I was like, I don't understand how there is a way. And she's like, there always is. We'll Aww. figure it out. I love that, that she was able to reflect that back to you. And that's really, I think, hearing her say that and knowing that somebody felt like we could find a way out of this was enough to energize me to keep going. And, you know, our motto became like one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. Well, it sounds like you rebounded and then some, but how long did that take to get over like the crash? Well, that was a good four years, I wow. would say, that so really took us. you had to have so... a really powerful mindset to <laughs> really, get through all that. You it really was, did. Yeah, it really was, you know, four years of one day at a time. And literally just every single day I left the office, I said, that's one more day that I'm in business. And, you know, it just took like one day, one day, one day until I got a call in 2011 from somebody that I knew at Estee Lauder who had been one of the group presidents. And he had left there and gone to another retailer in the UK. And he was helping them rebuild or you know, not rebuild, but but basically relaunch their beauty business. And he said, I think that your brand would fit really well um, with their new concept. And I'd like to pitch you. And he was pitching, I don't know, about 100 brands. And we ended up being one of the one of 22 brands that ended up launching in this concept. It was with Marks and Spencer. Amazing. And, you know, he really, really believed in us. And, you know, I think you really need those people around you that energize the good and believe in you and um, help foster and nurture you. And, um, you know, there were moments along that pathway where I thought, I hope he is right. I, I don't know if we're going to meet his expectations. I hope we don't disappoint him. And um, he really, really saw something in us and believed in us. And it was really thrilling to go through a launch there and be successful and be one of the top selling brands in that concept. And, you know, not only prove him right, um, but also prove that we were viable and that we were in the process of turning things around. Oh, that must have felt so good. It was real. It was really. It was a really exciting time in the brand. Was there a moment where you felt like, okay, you know what? Now we've made it, and I can breathe a little. Do you, Do you ever feel like that? Or no, was there no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think you ever feel like that. You always say, if I could just be at this, um, you know, level of sales, or if I could just get this one retailer, if I could just have this many people. I think I could see, take a deep breath and feel like I've been successful. But I think the adage, you know, bigger business, bigger problems really holds true. And um, because I remember having a conversation, I was very good friends um, with the founder of Tarte Cosmetics. And I remember having a conversation with her years ago um, when we were really, really struggling. I mean, I think we were teeny tiny and I needed money and I was going to go raise money. And I remember talking to her and she was double our size at that time. And I remember, and she, she was going to raise money. Um, and I remember saying, you know, her saying to me, we're doing, you know, this in sales, but you know, we really need money. And I remember thinking like, if we were doing that in sales, like I would, I be, would be so, so happy, happy. <laughs> and I would feel like there was no, I had no problems in the world. And, you know, 
now we're doing several times that in sales. And um, and she, you know, sold her company for half a billion dollars. So, you know, it's kind of interesting in hindsight to to remember those conversations along the way. Is there anything you wish you'd known earlier, mindset-wise, like if you could give advice to yourself, you know, for when you were first starting out some 15, 20 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, you know, I was so determined to like bootstrap the business and do it on my own and not give away equity. Um, But I think I would tell myself, you know, find the right balance. Like, you know, cash isn't always, you know, taking money from investors is not always a bad thing and can really help you scale the business faster. Um, And even though you lose some equity in the process, it's better to have a smaller percentage of a bigger pie than a larger percentage of a smaller pie. So, And that can be a mindset thing too, can't yes, it? Of like totally. maybe fear that, well, what if I take the money and then I don't yeah. grow fast enough? Yes, yes. Or what will they take away from me? Yes. What do you think is the mindset piece of that? Because this is something we see a lot. I know we have a shared passion for helping more yes. women yes. scale up their businesses. Yes. And if I had a dollar for every time a woman said to me, I don't want to raise money because I don't want to give up control of my business. Yeah. I think it's all about finding the right partners. So finding people that ha- share your vision that support you as an entrepreneur and making sure that you get that in writing, yes. you know, without, however that translates in a legal binding document. But um, but there can be a misconception too, right? That I do. Raising yes. money is only negative yes. or only going to dilute your yes. ability to control your own yes. business. Yes. What, what are some of your thoughts on that? Um, I think, you know, again, like given the right um, investors, the right board structure, um, the right incentives, um, all of that can be quite positive. What's the mindset piece of it, do you think? I think the mindset piece of it is feeling like the money is going to support you as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as the CEO of the company to really continue to drive the growth of the company and fulfill your vision in the company. Um, I think as long as you feel like you have the support and the people behind you to continue, you know, living out your vision and and growing the company, that's the mindset. You know, when you feel like somebody's trying to undercut you or go behind your back or, you know, to your face support you, but then they have a different agenda. I mean, that's, you know, kind of like a mind game that can really work against you. I agree with all of that. And I've often wondered, is there also kind of like a worthiness piece where mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes if women feel like yes. they don't feel ready or worthy? Yes. Or, I think you, that's, think yeah, that? I definitely think that's a big women thing. And I've spent a lot of time with women entrepreneurs um, in groups that are very, um, you know, meant to be very supportive and to air issues and share things without feeling vulnerable. And, you know, what I've heard again and again from women entrepreneurs is that we have the mindset of, um, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to fail. I'm never going to make it. Uh, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to take this away from me. I'll never make money. I'm going to be broke. Um, and men typically don't have that mindset. They're like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be successful. This is going to be huge. I'm going to make so much money. Right. Lucky you if you get to come along for the ride. Right. Is how they feel right. about their exactly. investors. And yeah. I try to really... Um, advise women who are looking for money to have the mindset with investors, like I'm giving you a great opportunity to come in on something that is going to make you a lot of money. It's not like I'm begging you for money and you're doing me a favor. 
Like I'm giving you, a, I'm letting you in on a great opportunity. Of course. And, and you know, when you did your second round of fundraising for Skin Iceland, I'm sure you had the, you know, the first success as tailwind at your back. But when you did that first fundraise, what do you think gave you the confidence to do that? Um, well, a little bit was ignorance. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, it was so early on. But I, I really, really believed in my idea. I mean, I saw this opportunity coming. And I guess that's, that's my thing. That's my thing. That's my value. And you knew I you am, were ahead of the curve. You I knew, knew I was ahead of the curve. And I do yet. have the sense often like that I see something, something and if people don't see it, they don't get it. Um, and I really felt like that at that time. Like, this is happening, whether you see it or not, and it's coming, and I'm going to find somebody who gets it too. I love that. And how you took every no as just, okay, then you're not the right person. Right. I'll go find someone who is. Right. <laughs> Up next, Sarah talks about how she visualizes running a billion-dollar company. You know, success in business is really 80% mindset and 20% skill set and network. If you want help with the whole package and you're a woman business owner looking to scale up faster than you already are, then as a listener of this podcast, I have a way I can help. I'm going to give you a complimentary Accelerate session. It's a 45-minute coaching call on me. That means free. Go to scalewithjulia.com, scalewithjulia.com and sign up. And then there's this. If you mention this podcast when you sign up for your Accelerate session, we'll also send you our exclusive ebook, Power Networking for Female Founders, also free. So that's two ways you can start scaling faster right now. Make sure you mention the Million Dollar Mind podcast. Again, go to scalewithjulia.com. So then what's next? What do you see next for you, for Skin Iceland? I mean, for me, I see, um, you know, my my vision is to really grow the company. I want to have a billion-dollar company. That's my vision. And I'm looking for partners that can help me get there. So, um, you know, the next step for me would be to find institutional money. We've never raised professional money, um, but to find a partner that wants to invest in our growth and sees the potential of where we can get to and potentially um, attract st strategics at some point that would want to buy us. Um, so that's, that's I my certainly see that fantasy. for you. I'm excited to follow you on that journey. And I would be curious what kind of mindset work does that require? I know I had to do a lot of work to go from being sort of solopreneur to, okay, I'm going to run a multi-million dollar company yes. when I ran Little yeah. Pim, you know, my language teaching company. Yeah. What is that? What would that shift look like, do you think, from where you are now to running the billion dollar company? Well, you know, it's funny. I have um, a very, very dear friend who is um, in private equity, so has like a different brain than I have and has a male perspective, which I found really helped me. And um, and he is like a huge proponent of women and supporting women. And 
he also has this sort of um, side gig as a um, as a life coach, and he's been trained to life coach, and he's been like a tremendous force for me in terms of helping me see my potential. Billion dollar whisperer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and saying to me, like, I remember one day he said to me when we were doing, you know, a few million dollars in sales, I think we were like at Five million in sales. And he was like, shame on you. You should be doing $25 million in sales. Why aren't you $25 million in sales? And I remember thinking like, screw you, except for like <laughs> another word that starts with an F. Um, like, what do you mean? Like, I, I, you know, I've accomplished a lot. And he's like, you could do so much more and you're so much more competent and you're limiting yourself by the vision that you have for yourself. Think about yourself as somebody that's running a $25 million company. And that was only like three years ago. And so he's and that helped did, that me. did shift something for you. He really, like. really shif shifted something for me in my brain. I was like, yeah, why am I only thinking $3 million, $5 million? Why aren't I thinking $30 million, $100 million? And at every level, he's been like, okay, now think $300 million. Why aren't you thinking... You know, and the minute I could get my head around like a half a billion, he was like, okay, why aren't you thinking now we're a, going billion? For a billion? Right. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, here I go. But sometimes people see things in you that you half see in yourself, but until someone kind of holds up that mirror or says, I believe in you, right? And that is why I too have had so many coaches and so many of the successful entrepreneurs I know have had coaches, right? Because yes. they can help you get to that next level. Yes. They see something in you maybe you don't see in yourself or they switch your mindset to yes. believe in that. And I think, and I'm very, very much a believer in the power of thought and E squared and, you know, really visualizing something and internalizing th something and then having that make it happen. Well, I'm sure folks at home would like to try that. So one, could you tell us how you do that? And then two, we'd love to hear if there's anything you've read or seen lately that had a big impact on you that People might want to go look up a TED Talk, sure. a book. Yeah. So the book E Squared was a complete inflection point for me personally. Um, and that book is really very much about creative visualization, how you can see something and you can create that reality. And the way like Olympic athletes do, like yes. visualizing success. Yes. And I had experienced that from an athletic standpoint. I, I was doing triathlons um, in my 30s and I couldn't do the swim part of the triathlon. And somebody said to me, you've got to visualize it and imagine yourself doing it, but feel yourself doing it. Um, and so I had a dream one night that I was swimming it and I could feel what it felt like to swim it. And the next day I went and I swam it. We hear that word a lot, visualizing, but yeah. I think very few people know how to do it. Yes. What's the hardest part for you of the visualizing? So I started meditating um, about 60 days ago because I'm counting the days. Congratulations. And thank you. And I'm finding it very powerful. Um, I do something called a har meditation, which is a meditation for prosperity. And whatever that means to you, whether that's material, emotional, helping other people, whatever that is. And it forces you for 11 minutes every day to think about where you see yourself going, what you see yourself, your life being like, the things that you want to accomplish and achieve in your life. And it really grounds you and focuses you on those things that are most important and critical for your success. And um, did you learn that from E squared or was that something? You no, that up was else? something that I learned from this mentor life coach of mine. Awesome. 
Um, and you know, it also speaks to the fact that we live in a world where everything is energy and sort of changing that energy or forcing that energy in a certain direction really can change the way things happen. And so for me, that, that presents itself in the form of meditation. Um, it changes, it stops all that noise. You know, I have very, very busy days where I'm doing a lot of juggling. And so all day long, I'm like, I got to do this. I got to get back to this person. I have to send this email. I have to pick up my daughter at school. And it's very hard when your mind is going like that to really focus on what's important. So it means that for 11 minutes a day, I'm thinking about, I want my company to be this level in sales. I want to close this deal. I want to buy a house that looks like this. I want to help people, you know, maximize their potential. You know, all these things that I want to do in life, it makes me spend 11 minutes every day focusing on. And it's not the same every day. Some days are different than others, but I love the intentionality of that. And yes. I imagine already th things are shifting and we'll only continue to completely, do so because of that. Completely shifting. And I think, you know, I started out saying like, I don't have time for this. Like, I'm so busy. Like, I, I, I can't get up right. any can't, earlier. Can't find 11 minutes. I can't. <laughs> and this friend said, said to me, like, if you don't think you're worth 11 minutes every day, like you have a problem. And that really struck a chord with me. I was like, all right, well, I guess I can find 11 minutes for myself every day. That really resonates with me because I started meditating after reading the book 10% Happier by Dan Harris. And he says to start with five minutes a day. And he's like, if you can't even find five minutes to meditate, <laughs> like you have a bigger problem, right? And I, then I worked up to exactly. 20 minutes and I, I love meditating as well. Yeah. But that's, a, that's an interesting one I'd like to try. So thanks mm -hmm. for sharing that. Sure. So last question, um, you mentioned your daughter. So I would be curious um, from a mindset perspective, if she were to sit down with you and be like, mom, you built this you know, successful company, even though I know you still want to get to that next level, you're certainly successful by any stretch of the imagination. What kind of advice would you have for her, for any entrepreneur, but let's imagine it's your daughter, right? Um, my advice to her, and I tell her this all the time, is follow follow your dreams. Like, do something you really love, that you feel passionate about, that you love to get up and do every day. And then it doesn't feel like work. Is that how you feel about your business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really do. On most days, I mean, yeah. we all have our days, but when um, it's not a Friday, yeah, <laughs> when it's not a Friday, it's <laughs> I hope Iceland. the Friday curse has lifted. <laughs> it has, but yes, I do feel like that most of the time, and. Um, you know, I, I will say too, I mean, she's 12. And so I, I am definitely at that stage with her where I get a lot of, you're so uncool, you do nothing right. You know, everything you do is annoying. Why are you wearing that? Why are you wearing that? <laughs> you're embarrassing me. Um, but the, the other night um, on Friday, we had dinner together. And on the way to dinner, I said to her, you know, I'm kind of excited. I just got a text from a makeup artist that wants us to send her products. And she said her clients are Paul McCartney, the Rolling Stones, and Hugh Jackman, and that they all love Skin Iceland. And that, um, and so we wrote her back and we said, of course, you know, we'll send you product. And she said, oh, Paul's going to be so excited. And I just had this incredible pinch me moment. And I said to her, you know, I sometimes think about the fact I was sitting in my living room creating this line and I, creating these products. And now... These incredible icons know about my product and are using my products and it's making them feel better, feel good. And she said, Mommy, I'm really proud of you. 
Oh. And I've never heard her say moments, that. Especially was, from you know, a teenage girl. Especially from a preteen. <laughs> um, you know, those are the moments that make it all worthwhile. Well, I loved hearing about how you got going and the challenges you overcame and how you overcame them. I'm sure there are people listening who will be running out to get E-squared and try to get a little bit of the Sarah magic, but mainly we'll be following along and cheering you on as you continue to build the company. And thanks so much for coming in to talk about mindset. Thank you. It's really fun to talk about my journey with you. So glad we could have you. Million Dollar Mind is a production of Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019, Julia Pimsler. You can contact Julia at juliapimsler.com. That's Julia, P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.